Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. We are recording. So, hey, y'all. Welcome to winter. We got winter this week. Did you notice? Kinda. Yes. The water in our, in our chickens' water feeder was frozen this morning. Oh, that's not fun. Yeah, I had, a, I had a pair of chickens. I had to get through one of the worst winters in history a few years ago, and it was really, really hard. They started re- laying really weird eggs. Like, the la- eggs were almost see-through. Just wait till <laughs> that happens. It's, like, so otherworldly. They were, like, almost, like, soft-boiled when they came out of the chicken, which was freaking bizarre. Yum. Anyways, so, uh, yeah, I feel like we're all settling in for our long winter's nap now. I mean, I'm not sure, like, who invented this whole thing, but I feel like humans are supposed to hibernate like bears. Yes. I don't know. Well, you figure they're probably, that's the way civilization was at one time. When when winter came, you just pretty much went, whoop, see you when it warms up, and everybody just packed themselves away. And You also uh, used to have, like, 800 other people help you raise your kids, too. That that part would have been nice. It takes a village. Hey, nice segue, given what we're talking about today. So I'm going to do our introductions first, and then we'll launch into what we're speaking about. So on our podcast today is, of course, Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group, and I'm fighting my dog right now who wants his squeaky toy. And I told him it's not an appropriate time for a squeaky toy, and he really doesn't want to listen. So if we hear some squeaks later, um, that's, that's him. Aw, humor him. So also here is Catherine Manu. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Annette. It's uh, Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am the co-publisher of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly. Hiya, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And we have Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. How you doing, Annette? It's Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor. And we have a special guest today, which is Kaylin Riley. Hi, how are you, Kaylin? Good. Kaylin here. I'm the roving freelance reporter writing about sports and anything that might make you want to cry. Those are my favorites. Yeah, stories that make you cry. The wordsmith extraordinaire. And my name's Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor at the Express News Group. And we brought um, Kaylin in today because we're going to be talking about school and what our local moms and dads are going through right now with the um, COVID issues going on. And it's just been sort of a roller coaster for you guys. I would imagine since last March when everything sort of shut down and that was the end of it. So I thought maybe if if, um, Georgie, you and Kaylin could talk a little bit about what it's been like to suffer through the first few months of this year with COVID, where you are now and what is, um, is happening with the schools as far as their effort to get kids back in. Because it sounds like they're trying to go a little bit more in person, yet at the same time, I feel like a lot of other things are shutting down. The thing that gets me for you guys is the uncertainty of it all, because it's all academic uh, to me when I hear about schools opening and closing, and it's important to me in a community type of a, of a way, but man, this directly affects your daily lives, uh, these decisions, and, and it just seems like all of it is so up in the air right now. So maybe you guys should start by saying who, uh, talk about your little ones and what you have in your household. Who wants to go first? 
Why don't you go right ahead, Caleb? (laughs) We did the uh, whole outnumbered thing. We have three kids. Kendall is, they're all, we live in East Quad. Kendall is nine. She's in fourth grade. Claire is six. She's in first grade. So they're both at East Quad school. And Sebastian, who is in the other room watching some YouTube, is um, three. He will be four next month. And he goes to preschool at Love of Learning in Quad. So we have been very, very, very lucky because my girls are in school full day, five days a week at East Quag. And I have to give that school the biggest shout out you could ever give because they have done an absolutely phenomenal job of getting these kids back to school, doing the things that they need to do to keep things safe. And like, they're so happy to be there. They don't ever complain about wearing masks. They're thrilled to be there. They put so many precautions in place. They take them outside as much as they can. Like they tell us, send them to school in sweaters because they keep the windows open even if it's cold. I went to pick my daughter up the other day to take her to a doctor appointment for a possible broken wrist. And um, there were kids sitting outside eating their lunch, bundled up and happy to be there. So, and then Sebastian's in preschool at Love of Learning. They're all doing a great job. and. Um, I just try not to think about what it will be like if, if and when that changes. Georgie, you're in a very different situation. <laughs> I'm, I'm seething with jealousy right now. Um, so, <laughs> um, I have two children, um, which the staff of the Express News Group have become very familiar with over the last eight months. Uh, my daughter, Ella, is almost 12 and she is in sixth grade. And my son, Charlie is six and he like Claire is in first grade and we live in Springs. So we are in the Springs school district, which is in East Hampton. Springs was already an overcrowded school district before COVID and is in the middle of a really big expansion um, to deal with overcrowding in the school. So with social distancing um, needs, um, being accommodated. My children have been in-person school um, two days a week, and then they do remote learning three days a week. It's the whole school district, which is a K through eight school district um, that has been in that schedule. We've only had two COVID cases reported in the school district since August. So the school has been doing an amazing job and I really do wanna give it to spring school. I mean, I feel so safe sending my kids to school. My kids' teachers are great. Even on remote learning days, while it's certainly challenging being somebody who works full time, they are engaged with by their teachers and safety has been the number one priority. And I really do think that that should be the number one priority right now, safety and mental health. Springs has started to, as Annette mentioned, it's one of the school districts trying to reopen for more in-person learning. Parents have attended a number of school board meetings calling for that to happen, given the few cases that we've had. And so this week, actually, special ed students and English as a second language students or English as a new language students um, began attending school four days a week in person. Wednesday is always going to be left as a remote learning day for the whole school population, which is how it is now, because the district does a thorough cleaning of the school facility. So apparently in a few weeks, in mid-December, younger students in K through second grade 
will be reintroduced into a four-day in-person program. Um, and I hesitate as I say that because it's like, I don't want to get my hopes up because my son will be one of those children. And while my daughter, who is a middle school student, is thriving this year, remote learning is working out for her. We're supplementing with extra stuff. And she's very happy and she's finding success with this hybrid model. You know, a first grader doesn't really remote learn, um, especially when the first grade teacher, who is amazing, is teaching another cohort when he's home, except for Wednesdays. So um, that really requires parents for those early learners to become teachers, um, which is what I have been this fall is, you know, part-time or full-time publisher and part-time first grade teacher. So Kaylin, has that been a, an issue for you? Your kids have been in school more. I imagine like Matt last March, everybody was at home and there was no in-person at all. So I'm just wondering how, as a mom, like how, how, how has it been since March um, juggling the three kids and the work commitments you might have? That's when I, I, right around the time I penned the infamous essay about no one wanting to wear pants in our house, but yeah. Great essay. That, that's why I have to like actively choose not to think about what might happen if my kids have to go back to like fully remote learning. Um, because it was, it was quite frankly impossible. Because my husband is a teacher in the Southampton School District. And um, so he was busy all day, every day during that time. He also is the manager of the Quantuck Beach Club on Dune Road in West Hampton. And so during the spring, he was in the midst of not only doing this incredibly difficult task for all these teachers trying to like on the fly learn how to transition all their students to remote learning, but he also was at the same time trying to come up with an entirely new plan for how and when to open this um, members only Ocean Beach Club on Dune Road and keep a, a, a full um, snack bar staff and group of lifeguards safe. So he was, he like lived his life on in Zoom meetings and I had to care for the kids and be their teacher. And during most of that time, I didn't have freelance work, which like made me sad, but also like I, I could not have done it. It was overwhelming even not having actual employment at that time. So I can't, I don't even know like, <laughs> I will do it somehow if that's what it comes to, but um, it, I, I just, I can't even think about it because it's not like, oh, maybe I should think about it to prepare myself. You can't prepare yourself for something like that. It's just, you know, I, I think the thing that I hate most about all of this, because I, I like, like Georgie, I don't often, I feel safe sending my kids to school. But when you get back into this second wave where things are getting bad again and you have to start thinking about what's safe and what's not safe, it just seems really like wrong and unfair that what's good for your mental health has to be at such complete odds with what's good for your physical health. And that just, just shouldn't be that way. Like when you think about things like exercising, you're like, this is good. It's good for my mental health and good for my physical health. It's, it's doing both of those things. And then when you have to make these calculations and choose, you shouldn't have to choose one over the other. They should go hand in hand. And this pandemic is making us make those kind of terrible choices and calculations. Although I do think it's interesting and, you know, 
Kaylin's covering the Sac Harbor School District for us. And we had a few other stories from other school districts this week talking about this surge and you know potential reopenings and also potential closure coming down the pike. And something that a lot of the administrators kept bringing up is the fact that the schools have proven not to be the place where COVID is being spread. You know, and, and I think that that's evidence just in all of these school districts being open and in school with the exception of a few isolated incidences that have been traced back to specific events, you know, you're not seeing a classroom blow up with COVID. Um, and I think that that's a testament to the systems that schools have put in place from, you know, masks all the time. Um, I mean, the kids do get some mask breaks, but masks are required. Social distancing is required. Like Kaylin said, like the windows are open, ventilation is being addressed. And they follow the rules when they're at school. I saw something on the news the other night and I thought it was interesting because it's sort of like the philosophy of what they do in Europe tends to be almost the exact opposite of what they're doing here in that in Europe, the kids are in school every day and it's the bars, restaurants and other places that are closed and they've left the, the schools open. Here, there's sort of this other opposite thing going on where it seems like the schools are the first thing they shut down, but they still are allowing like um, restaurants and bars to continue to open. And I guess New York is starting to clamp down, right? They closed their public school system. Yeah. Nick Kristoff from the New York Times, he's a great like opinion columnist there. He's done a lot of like, he's just an amazing journalist, but he wrote a really good piece about that um, like a day or two ago and, and spoke a lot about the damage it does to kids, especially, you know, kids who are low income or from minority communities when they cannot be in school. And, and really like, like you said, when you look at, the the cases that have come out of schools it's nothing compared to what have come in other situations and the, the cost to people of not keeping kids in school and the cost to those kids i mean he had statistics in there of people saying that they think like the dropout rate is going to skyrocket and that that leads to lower life expectancy so there's an argument to be made that like yes the virus itself can cause death but so can in a more indirect way, so can keeping kids out of school for this long. Speaking objectively, taking a step back and, and, and really looking at it, I wonder if you think that this time period and this uncertainty and, and all the, the changes and all the, the challenges we have, is it going to be harder on the kids in the long run or is it harder on the parents? Well, I think the parents, I mean, <laughs> my kids have adapted pretty quickly. You know, like Kaylin was saying, like they have, my kids have zero problems with masks. They will do anything to go to school. I mean, <laughs> they would move mountains if that's what it took to go to school. They love school more than they've ever loved school. They appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and I think also just in general, just any return to normalcy for them, they're like, we'll just do what it takes. I mean, even my six-year-old, he's like, I'll just do what it takes. So I feel like they're super resilient. Um, and maybe, I think it's just harder on us because we're probably, you know, worrying about them maybe even more than we need to. Um, but then also I think just for working families, 
not having your kids in school, especially with an economy that's open is challenging. And I think Kaylin and I are both really fortunate because we have been able to stay home with our kids when that's been required of us. But, you know, there are a lot of families that don't have that luxury. Um, and I can't imagine the stress of having to leave for work, you know, with three youngish children staying at home. I can't imagine doing it even with an almost 12 year old here who could be with my son. Have we heard any anecdotes of any like really not great things happening because of parents that have to leave their children? When I entered, when I did the story about families and how they were dealing with all of this, I interviewed Megan Blodorn, who is a nurse at Southampton Hospital, and her husband is a police officer. And their children, I think their younger one is maybe nine, and the older one is a year or two older. So they were at that like sort of cusp when you were like, is it okay to leave them home by themselves? Or is it not? And for how long is it okay? And she's an ER nurse and he's a police officer. They, they were the essential workers. And she did say there were times where she had to leave them home alone or have neighbors check in on them. It's not like she could ask her grandparents to come over when she's been working in a hospital all day. And they finally got some relief when the um, Eleanor Whitmore Center opened for essential workers. But like, yeah, she, you know, she, these are the kind of like things. And if they had been a couple of years younger, that wouldn't have been an option. She said she didn't even know what she would have done if they were younger. So, and it, and it also so disproportionately affects women too. I mean, if you look at the number of women that have dropped out of the workforce since this started, it's devastating, really. The New York Times has had a really excellent series on just that, like on the impact on professional women who have, like you said, just dropped out of the workforce because that's what's required. And the chances that they're going to be able to get back to where they were professionally, I mean, they're pretty slim. And it doesn't just hurt those women. Like that's, that's like the faulty thinking. Like everyone's like, oh, it sucks for those women. It's not fair to those women. It's not fair to everyone because when you lose almost half of your workforce and there's so many amazing, talented women out there, you're not just losing, like, it's not just a gender issue. It's just an overall like quality and <laughs> Sorry, someone just tripped on the computer board. Yes, I saw Seb walking in the background. That's perfect. Uh, it's a perfect illustration of the conversation we're having, right? But like, you know, you the reason that women are making a lot of these calculations is, is because often, you know, their job is the one that can be more flexible or just financially speaking is more dispensable. And that's the case here. Like, you know, my husband is a school teacher. He makes much more money than me. We're on his health insurance. I don't have health insurance. So if anyone has to, uh, you know, make accommodations to take care of the kids financially and for a ton of other reasons, I, I'm the one that has to do it. And that's the case for a lot of women. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Yeah, and then you have to also throw in the wrinkle that, you know, for a lot of us that have relied on um, grandparents, 
to help out. You know, I know that, you know, my parents and my mother-in-law um, who actually lives with us um, over the summer, there was a level of safety, I think, because you could be outside with the kids, right. um, you know, and masks and social distancing. But now that we're kind of retreating indoors as it's getting colder, you know, my parents aren't going to come over and watch my kids in an interior space right now. Um, and they shouldn't, you know, <laughs> they're older people. They're in like the at-risk group um, for, you know, maybe not recovering well from COVID. So I don't want them inside my house, but prior to COVID, they were, you know, a big resource for me. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of families depend on that multi-generational relationship for childcare, especially on the South Fork where the cost of living and the cost of childcare is astronomical. So what about pods and things like, and some of your friends, like maybe, maybe other parents who have kids that your kids see at school and that you feel safe with, has that been an option for maybe a little childcare here and there when you're really busy. I don't have any family out here whatsoever. So when my daughter was young, like I was always calling up my mom friends and it was like, you know, we would all sort of pool our children. It's like, you take them this day, we'll take them that day. So has that been a solution for, for you or anybody that you know? My daughters are both with friends right now, actually. They're, I have kept them, I, I don't do this frequently, but when I do, it's always they each have a good friend that's in their actual class. Like my daughter, my older daughter has been disappointed because she wants to have a play date with a good friend of hers. That's not in her actual, that's in her grade, but it's not in her actual class this year. And I don't feel comfortable doing that because the school works so hard to keep these kids in their little within the school pods. Like they don't ever mix the grade, the classes within the grade at, they've taken pains even like when they're out at recess to make sure that like, Miss Russo's class is on this corner of the playground and, you know, Miss O'Brien's class is on this corner of the playground. So I don't want to, um, you know, jeopardize that. But right now they are both with friends who are in their actual classes. Actually, my oldest daughter's friend, her um, mom is Sebastian's preschool teacher. So I, I haven't done it often and I've, and I've tried to do it in that kind of way. But even when you do that, there's, there's always like this like little mountain of guilt on your shoulder when you do one tiny thing to try to um, help yourself out. Like, is this going to be the, the fatal error or am I doing a bad thing here? Should I even be talking about it? Like I almost didn't want to tell you guys that just now, but I sort of feel like it's important to say just so people hear it and know that like, if they, if all these things are swirling around in their brain, like, yeah, it's, it's swirling around in my brain too. We do have a pod with um, two other families that we developed. I think it was in May. They're not in our school district. And so when school started, that help wasn't really an option. But this summer, it was a lifesaver mentally, um, you know, for all of us, you know, just to be able to be outside at the beach together. And, you know, the kids could have social interaction and we could have social interaction, you know, and it was, it was a lifesaver, but you know, they are in different school districts. So, you know, when school starts started, that changed. I do know one of my friends does have a pod with a couple of girls in her daughter's class where for remote learning days, there's one day they're at one house, one day they're at another house. And the third day they're at the other house. 
And in one of those cases, they're older kids, they're, you know, 12, you know, a mom basically has a um, camera set up and is able to watch them from work um, because there are no parents able to be in that household at that time. Let's just be honest with ourselves. I mean, when I was eight years old, my twin sister and I were going home to an empty house. You know, I think that there were lots of us, um, you know, in our generation. That, I think it was much more like socially yeah. acceptable back then than it is now, which is a shit. Can we like bring that back? Because we need it right now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think that, and I think you're right. I think that in a lot of ways, um, this has brought people together, you know, in smaller groups. Um, you know, I've never been closer to my two closest girlfriends right now than we are right now. They are the two people that are in my pod. One of them happens to be a journalist, um, you know, and so we share a lot in common and we were already friends and our children were friends prior to COVID and we are tight now. I mean, closer than we have ever been because we became each other's lifelines in a lot of ways um, over the summer. And so those friendships have deepened, um, you know, but I think probably conversely in other ways, I have other relationships, even with family members who are far away, you know, that have taken a toll because I, I can't be as present with them. My mother lives, you know, five minutes from me. And since school started, she and I used to spend tons of time together and our time is limited now because I'm protective of her and, of my stepfather and I don't want them to get sick. I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want my kids to be responsible for that. So that's hard, you know? So I think that there are relationships that deepen during a time like this, especially in your immediate family. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to take a toll on other relationships that you'll need to rebuild a little bit. To that point, Georgie, you know, I always had this idea in the back of my head that if somebody cares enough to say, you know, why don't you come to my birthday party? Why don't you come do this? Why don't you come do this? You should do it because you don't know when the day comes when you'll move away, they'll move away, and you're not going to be able to hang out with that person anymore. And you know what? Now we've, we're coming on nearly a year. I know there's still a few months to go, but it feels like 10 years where, you know, you haven't seen people. And it, you know what? In some cases, it, it is already a year since I've seen some people that I would normally see a few times a year. And we put off seeing each other for Christmas. We put off seeing each other in January. We, we put off seeing each other in February. And now here we are. Probably won't see them until, I don't know, August of 2021. So I, I have a greater appreciation of that. And it was something I kind of, before all this, always tried to appreciate. And it's just grown on me having experienced this. You know, it's interesting. We actually have a column, or I wrote a column actually for their holiday book, which hit newsstands this week, um, just about that. You know, on February 27th, we flew back from Southern California where we had spent, I think it was 10 days with my family, my twin sister and my biological father live in Palm Springs. And thanks to my cousin, we were able to go out there and have a house to stay in. Um, we actually went to Disneyland at the end of February. The fact that we escaped without COVID is like still a miracle to me. But, you know, we flew back after this really rich family experience. Um, and I'm so grateful that we went 
because I don't know when I'm going to be able to see those people again, probably not until 2022, you know, they're in California. Um, and this is my identical twin sister and, you know, my father and my little brother. And I'm so grateful that I took the time to do that. And I will never take for granted the time spent with my family that don't live here um, ever again. I'm, I'm so thirsty for it now. Yeah, seriously. We did the same. I met up with my college friends in Philadelphia, like the, I think it was the second weekend in March, which again, we were like in a packed bars and restaurants in Philadelphia, but yeah, we, and now we zoom with each other like every week and we never used to do that. So that kind of goes to your point, Joe, of like bringing people together. Like we used to go for very long periods of time without talking to each other. And like, it's kind of funny that it like never occurred to us before, like let's do a video conference and chat. And now we like video conference all the time. But at the same time, you're doing the right thing. And, you know, we, we editorialized a little bit about this with the Thanksgiving holiday coming up this week. And, you know, as Kaylin and I talk about how desperate we are for our children to stay in school, you know, the message needs to be very clear that, you know, as we're seeing this spike occur, we have to take this really seriously. And having a 20 person Thanksgiving, this is just not the year for that. Um, for a myriad of reasons, not just to protect your health and the health of your family members, but to protect the local economy and to keep these kids in school because they need to be in school. They need to have socialization. Annette, I have Ella here. Do you want to ask her anything? Yeah, sure. Let's talk to Ella. <laughs> she comes up <laughs> under the desk. <laughs> We're talking about school and remote learning um, mm -hmm. and kind of like some of the pluses and minuses and challenges. And so what's been the hardest part for you, Ella, do you think of um, doing the home, the schooling at home? Um, well, like sometimes we can't get a hold of the teachers. Like sometimes you have to email them and then they're all, they're emailing like all their other students. So it's like, you can't get a hold of them right away. So like in the classroom, you could just raise your hand and then they would say, Ella, but now it's like, yeah, now there's like an extra layer of communication, right? Yeah. And it's like, you have to get your work done by a certain time. And sometimes they don't respond to you by that time. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, there's no more like my dog ate my homework or I got stuck in the snow. Like, well, you know, my daughter's down in, in, um, in the South and going to school in Charleston and college. And yeah, like she'll sometimes I'll be on the phone with her at eight o'clock on a Sunday night. And she's like, um, can you give me an idea? I have a 20 page short story due by 1am. I'm like, what? <laughs> Seriously? And you're calling me now for inspiration? You're in journalism. No, she's not a journalist. She doesn't want to be a journalism major, so I don't have to worry about ever having to get her an internship at the paper. Uh, but but it is kind of funny how she just like, you know, could you have thought about it last week, perhaps, you know? Um, that whole self-motivated thing is really hard. Yeah, because like now the teachers, like sometimes on certain days you can't get a hold of them because they're doing like classes um, with like all the other teachers about how to like do it better because last year it was kind of just like just got thrown at us but now they like know what to do is it more interesting in how they engage you guys or are you just sitting on zoom like we are right now well like i mean last year my teacher like every day he came up with a different day so it'd be like one day it was wear this color the other day was stay in bed day but 
this year now, it's like we have, like for me, I have all these different teachers now. She entered middle school. Um, but yeah, we're kind of just like going back and forth from meeting to meeting. And it's not really like entertaining at all. It's just like, you know, you watch them do something and then when you leave the meeting, you go do it. Do you feel like you're learning now? Yes. Good. Hey, hey Ella, do you, do you think that the teachers are doing a better job now than they were in the spring? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten easier? Do you feel like you're learning more when you do the remote stuff now than you did back then? Well, like, um, the only time I really go to mom is when, like, I need help with a certain question. Like, sometimes when I have, like, a math review, I go to her. But, I mean, most of the time, I'm just upstairs doing it. And, like, she's helping Charlie. Yeah, Ella's so. very self-sufficient. And I'm very grateful for that because... You know, Charlie requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one instruction. So that's been really wonderful. Although I did have to learn about add or multiplying and dividing fractions. That we didn't even need to learn. We did it this summer and then we found out we didn't even need to learn it, but it was not useless. Well, we learned a lot. But it was like, we didn't, I didn't even need to do it. But yeah. Yeah. Do you love being in school now? Yeah. I... I don't mind the online school because, like, I get for kids like Charlie, it's like, he needs to be in school, but for me, I don't mind it, like, the good thing about it is, like, whenever you're doing your work and you're hungry, it's like, oh, let's go make a quesadilla, like, <laughs> true, <laughs> it's like, I'm not just, like, zoning out, just sitting there, it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna be doing that for the rest of your life. <laughs> Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.